it may be me only, but every time I hear our choir sing, I feel as though I've been transported to another sacred and, and holy space. It is, it is just an honor to be in worship with these fine, fine musicians as they give their time and talent to this church and indeed to the very Spirit of God. Earlier they sang one of my favorite hymns. I've, I've given a list to Ron Jenkins of my top 50 favorites. <laughs> And he's working them in. I want to note that out, out loud. And I, there's a great line in there. It's so perfect for this sermon today. Jesus sought me when a stranger. Do you hear the action in that line? Jesus sought. Jesus comes looking for us, not with judgment, not with fear, not with anger, but with compassion, love, and joy. Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering far from the fold of God. That word, if you hear nothing else on this day, take that word with you. Take it with you out to your home, to your business, to your school, to whatever you have next. That Jesus, that God is always, always, always looking for us with eyes and arms full of love. Let's pray for a moment, please. Gracious God, as we encounter this word today, may our hearts be open to the goodness of your love. May our minds be ready to receive this simple message, and may our hands be prepared to serve you in whatever way is needed. In Christ's name, amen. John Mortimer is an English novelist. His autobiography is titled, Clinging to the Wreckage. Clinging to the Wreckage. He came up with that title while he was having a conversation one day down by the sea with an old sailor, one who had uh, sailed yachts in competition. He said to the sailor, was it dangerous to do that? Did you find it full of, filled with danger? He said, no, as long as you don't know how to swim. Think about that. As long as you don't know how to swim, Mortimer asked, what, what do you mean? He said, well, I, I mean it like this. Every time a yacht turns over, or is broken, falls apart while a race is going on. If you know how to swim, many times, most of the time, those folks, those sailors will try to swim to shore. But invariably, because it is farther than they realize, because the water is colder than they understood, many of them, if not most of them, drown. Me, however, I don't know how to swim. When I was in accidents, when I was in a spot of trouble, I just clung to the wreckage and waited there until the helicopter came and rescued me out of the sea. And so this is the advice I'd give you, the sailor said. If you find yourself in a tough place, cling to the wreckage and wait for the rescue. Theologian Leonard Sweet is the one who brought this story to my attention. He says that every one of us is clinging to the wreckage. Every one of us is holding on desperate to the broken parts of our lives, hoping, believing, trusting, maybe some doubting, but somehow yearning beyond belief that will finally be rescued, that will finally find a way through. If you read the, the book of Acts and go all the way through cha Acts chapter 27, you'll find that Paul is on his way to Rome, but he knows in this ship as they're sailing through the Mediterranean, somehow he knows, maybe he was the world's first weatherman, I don't know. He knows that danger is ahead, that there's going to be a storm, and that we're gonna to be tossed on the rocks. And when we're tossed, he says to his, to his fellows on the, on the ship, cling to whatever broken piece you can. It's a beautiful image of the church. 
It's a, a, a beautiful statement of, of, of what we mean to each other. We accept each other in our broken and less than perfect selves because God has already done the same. God has already revealed through Jesus Christ the willingness to reach down to us, to become one of us and, and, and low enough to hold on to us. And so we accept each other in our brokenness, in our, in our wretchedness, some might say, in the wreck of whatever our lives are knowing that together we can move forward in faith with the promise of new life that God gives. There was a song about 20 years ago. My kids tell me all the time, they're in their 20s now, they tell me that I ought to catch up to popular music. Well, I'm up to about 1995, so I think I'm, I think I'm doing pretty well. There was, a, there was a pop singer named Jewel. Do you remember her song, Hands? The, the closing chorus is perfect. We are God's hands. We are God's eyes. We are God's mind. We are God's eyes. We are God's hands. We are God's hearts. And then she sings over and over again, we are God's hands. We are God's hands. We are God's hands. That's the perfect, perfect description of the truth of the church, of who we are for each other. We are indeed the very hands and arms of God. We are the the heart and mind of God. We are the ones that God has called to be there for each other, to be there for, for the world. The answer to this week to the question, why church, is really quite simple. Because we need each other. We cling to each other, recognizing that each of us will go through life broken, wounded, hurting, sometimes feeling like we are drowning in the tide of all that life brings. And of course, Jesus knows this. His, his ministry, is, especially as it's portrayed in, in the Gospel of John, focuses on the gifts of love and friendship. This image he uses in the reading that we just heard of, of, of the of vine and the, and, and the branches is one of intimacy, one of deep, connected friendship. It's one that makes a promise that Jesus will do all Jesus can, God will do all God can to bring us into lives of wholeness and fulfillment. A couple of weeks ago in my all-church email, I asked the congregation, I asked all of you, if you wanted to take a moment to please uh, send me an email or a note or, or find me and, and have a conversation in the hallway and, or in my office. And indeed, I've had many, I got many notes and, and responses to this question, why church? Especially this church. Why, why are you in this church? Why do you participate in, in this congregation, the life of what happens here? Uh, I received quite a few emails. I received a number of notes, and I've had many conversations in hallways and living rooms and all kinds of places over the last couple of weeks. And it's been, it's been a joy, actually, to hear from you. Oh, I heard responses like, uh, we love our open and progressive theology here. Many have said, oh, it's the hope-filled messages that come from our pulpit. And, and several of those who talked to me said, I remember all the way back to the 50s when Berkey was here and the way he could move our hearts and inform our minds and, and send us out with a challenge to love each other and to love the world. Others talked about Camp Akita and how when they're there at that place, they feel as though they've already been transported to heaven. And still many others, many, many others named our music ministry and talked about events like this evening's evening song. But the primary response, almost, almost universally, in all these notes and emails and conversations, was I, I choose this church because there my friends love me. I choose this church because I know that even in my brokenness, even when I, when I fail as a result of my own foolish mistakes, my friends will love me. One person said to me, why this church? Because even when I'm at my worst, 
my friends at First Community will love me. It's a beautiful answer of why we're here. We're all clinging to the wreckage. We're, we're all here be, because we need each other. Now, I, I need to say something here. If this was a Pentecostal church, if we were a charismatic style church, y'all would have been saying, amen, thank you, Jesus, and preach it, brother. Now, now I know we're not that, and I'm not going to force you to do that, but, but sometimes I kind of wonder, when you hear a word like this, don't you want to get up and say, yes, thank you, absolutely, amen. I, I saw a cartoon uh, a couple of weeks ago. It was in Leadership Journal. It's, it's a journal for preachers. And it was, a, it was an image of this church secretary on the phone, except she was holding it against her shoulder like this. And she was leaning around her, her office and yelling into the pastor's office and saying, uh, Pastor, it's Ripley's, believe it or not, on the line. They'd like to know if they can come by and take a photo of someone in our church who's on fire for God. <laughs> yeah, we kind of don't laugh too much, do we? I wonder, I kind of wonder. This is my job to ask these questions out loud. What would it look like if we got on fire for God? Maybe we're not going to become Pentecostals. Maybe we're not going to jump up and down and raise our hands and all of that. But maybe, maybe one time or two we ought to. Just let it go. Let people know that here at this church, we've welcomed you because of who, you, because in, of who we, we've been welcomed by God. How we've been welcomed by the grace and goodness of Jesus Christ. Who are we? Well, here's the story. There was a little boy who was walking home from school one day. Every day he walked by the pet store. On this day, there were four puppies in the window just jumping around and playing with each other. He wanted one of those puppies, and so he ran home, found his mom, and said, Mom, there are new puppies at the pet store. I really want one. Could you advance my allowance? That way I'll use my own money, and I'll buy the puppy, please. Mom said, Now you know puppies are work. You have to clean up after them, you have to feed them, you have to groom them. I know, Mom, I know, Mom, I really want one. I really want one, he said, please. So she went upstairs, she found a few dollars in, in her purse, she gave him what he needed for the puppy and said, all right, here's your allowance, here's your advance, go get yourself a dog. He ran back as fast as he could, back to the pet store, looked in the window, motioned at the owner and said, I want to buy a puppy. The owner called him into the store and they counted out his dollars carefully on the counter and said, okay, you've got enough. Which one would you like? They go back to the, to the window and the little boy points to the one puppy in the corner. It's not jumping around as much. It's kind of sitting there quietly while the other three are playing. He says, I want that one. And the owner, he, he said, no, you don't want that one. That, that one's got a bad leg. He, he's lame. He's not able to move very much. You don't want that one. Choose a different one. The little boy, without saying a word, he reached down. He pulled up his pants leg, and he revealed a chrome metal brace. And with a clear voice, he looked at that owner. He said, no, I want that one. You see, in Jesus Christ, God has looked at you and me and seen us in our brokenness in the wreckage that we sometimes make of our own lives. And God has said to us, I see you and I choose you. It's because of your brokenness that God chooses you. It's because of our need for grace that God is so generous with it. My buddy Mike Iaconelli, though, he says it's amazing how many of us have a hard time trusting in this God. 
We come to church on Sunday morning looking fresh and, and alive and, and happy and, well, well, downright perfect. You just, everyone looks so great on Sunday mornings and we're, we're on our best behavior and we shake hands and we smile and we, even somebody we don't like too much, we treat them as though they're a nice person. We do all that stuff on a Sunday morning. Afraid, I think. Afraid, I think, that somebody might see us who we really are. Somebody might see that brokenness. Too many of us have been told the theological lie that God loves us as long as we're clean and whole and spiritual. Mike says that it turns out that what disqualifies you from being a super spiritual person is actually what qualifies you to be chosen by God. It's in our weakness that God comes down low enough to be with us. Later in John 15, after the reading that was given earlier in the service, Jesus will say to his disciples, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends, for I have chosen you. Why church then? Because here we remind ourselves that God has already chosen us. Here we discover again and again that we need each other. That by standing with each other and holding ourselves in our pain, we become the very people that God wants us to be. See, the church is at its best when our structures and boards, when our councils and committees all share together and work together towards making room for broken and hurting people like us, all working together towards reaching out to a broken world, one that is desperate, as desperate as now as it ever has been, for a message of hope, a message of grace and of love. Why church? <clears throat> because, we, because the world needs the word we have and the service we're willing to give. Why church? Well, the governing structure exists to carefully review indeed our, our budgets and buildings to ensure the financial and physical viability of our church, yes. Why? So that we can continue to choose that puppy in the corner. So that we can be the ones through God's grace that God invites us to be. And of course, here's, here's part of the problem with this. Uh, sometimes we forget this. I'm reading a fascinating book while I'm, I'm working on this series called The Trellis and the Vine. The authors use, use the trellis as the idea of the structure of a church. In order for the vine to be strong and healthy and to grow, it needs something on, upon which to climb. And the trellis really is the committees and the structures and the boards and all that is the structure of the church itself. They, they note, though, that sometimes we get so focused on the structure that we forget to care for the vine. Or sometimes the flip side is true. We get so focused on the vine and forgetting, while well, forgetting about the, the, the trellis, the structure, that the vine overgrows and becomes tangled and, and weak and not nearly as strong as it needs to be. The key then is to pay attention to the mission and ministry of the church and let, let that guide the governing structure. Too often we react in fear and worry Focusing on the church's security and comfort by doing, and by doing so, we force the church into, into decline. This means that the church has to focus on what matters the most. The church needs to pay attention to the things that really matter the most, not just to us, but also to God. As Jesus says, sometimes the vine needs pruning. And you know what this is like. I'm not much of a gardener, but when we lived in Kansas City, we had a flower pot in our front yard near the porch. And in that flower pot, there were some roses that we kept. And I noticed if I didn't keep them carefully trimmed, eventually they would get so tangled and gnarled that the blooms would be less than attractive and the, and the, the, the plant itself would start to fade away. But if I'd get in there and cut and trim and pull away the dead stuff, 
eliminate the, the parts on the, on the branches that needed to be trimmed back, pruned back. Two days, three days, a week later, we'd have these beautiful, amazing roses blooming right, right there in front of our house. The same thing is true in our lives. It's true in the church. It's true in our personal lives. That trimming, that cutting that needs to happen, it can be painful. It, it can cause us to worry. But when we cut away the dead and dying stuff, the plant itself becomes healthy and strong. Well, this is true in the church. Listen to Fred Craddock. He's my favorite preacher. Fred says, churches that move through hardship to increase devotion to the mission have indeed been pruned. Did you hear what he said? Churches that move through hardship to increase devotion to the mission indeed have been pruned. Those that pull back in fear and resentment with attention only to their own comfort and safety have indeed been taken away. So what is true for the church is true for you. Pruning and cutting can hurt. Naming the hard issues in our congregation and in our lives is often the most difficult step we take. But a church that is focused on its mission and ministry is one that I promise you will thrive and flourish. Look right now at, at, at our world. Look at our country, our culture, the entire globe. We seem to be reacting to everything that happens around us in fear. We're enveloped by fear. But when we learn in the church to leave fear behind, new vistas and opportunities for ministry and service will open up before us. What does that look like? Deb read it earlier in the service, way back towards the beginning. 1 John 4, 7, and 8. It's the first Bible verse I learned as a little boy in third grade. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Those who love know God. Those who do not love do not know God, for God is love. It's that simple, and it's that hard. That is our mission. That is our ministry. When we love, we are setting the table for God's love to be revealed among us. Do you realize that in the first 100 years of the church, the church was explosive with growth? I mean, think about what was going on in that, in that first 100 years, in that first century of the church's existence. They were being persecuted, ridiculed. Some of them were being killed. It was a terribly dangerous thing to be a member of a church, and yet they were exploding with growth. People couldn't wait to become a part of this thing called the church. Why? Well, the ancient historians recorded it because they could see how much they loved one another. They could see. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in his second letter to the church in that, in that community. And at the very end of his letter, he said to them, greet each other with a holy kiss. Now, that sounds like a nice thing to say, and maybe it's not something we do necessarily in our own culture, but that sounds like a nice thing. i got to tell you, that was a radically inclusive and dangerous action. You see, in, in, in the ancient uh, Middle East, you did not ever greet someone who was below or above your social status in life, especially if you were at the top. You wouldn't, you wouldn't ever lower yourself to kiss a slave, to kiss somebody who was a soldier, somebody who wasn't quite up at the same level you were. But in the church of Jesus Christ, the apostle Paul invited everyone to greet each other with a holy kiss. Why? Because in the church, there are no barriers, there are no walls, there are no fences, there are, there are, there are no things that divide us from each other. It was a radically inclusive way of saying, here in this place, everyone is a part of the family of God. Do you want to see the church grow? Do you want to, do you want to have a sense of, of, of a revitalization of our ministry and our mission? Then it's time for us to be known 
in a broader and deeper sense as a place where love is real, where walls are torn down. I've already gotten reports from Akita, from the camp that happened last week, and is going on even today. In fact, I talked to a dad, dad this morning, this very morning, a dad came to me and said, I'm so glad that our church has this camp. I sent my son there and he's talked to me and said, it's been a life-changing experience. Why? Because at Akita, all these things that, that cause us to feel worried, to fill us with anxiety, uh, down here in the, in the valley, uh, down up from the hillside, we feel as though life is just this gigantic, heavy thing. And if you don't think that's true, talk to a middle schooler. They'll tell you how hard life can be at school and how tough it is to get around the school in the hallways. It's true in middle school and high school. At Akita, though, all that stuff, all that stuff is taken away, filed away. And at that beautiful campground, they discover the joy and beauty of Christian community as God intended for it to be. Akita is what heaven will be. Our church, I promise you this, will explode with growth in a way that we maybe not seen in decades when we give ourselves to each other and cling to the wreckage in the name of love, in the name of grace. And when the world sees this, when your neighbors recognize it, we won't be able to build a sanctuary large enough to hold all the people who want to be a part of God's community here in this place. Amen.